Hi, this is Gary Rogowski for the Northwest Woodworking Studio. Welcome to our podcast. Today's topic is hardware. Boy, are there are there ways to think about this stuff. I'm going to start by telling you about the hardware store that I that I frequent the most. It's uh, it's a place called Winks Hardware. It has been in Portland. I'm going to guess 75 years, but it may be 100 now. It, it's been around a long time. They were. Uh, over on the west side of town, and then the freeway came in. Remember when there didn't used to be freeways? Yeah. Uh, and they got bounced out of that location and moved to uh, the industrial part of town. And then the industrial part of town became too hip, you know, brick buildings and stuff, and so they had to move out of there and move to another industrial part of town across the river. And our studio is about, I don't know, six, eight blocks from their place now. And now it's turning too hip, and so we'll both probably have to leave. Anyway, Wings Hardware was the sort of hardware store that had everything. And you'd go there. I talk about it a little bit in my book, uh, Handmade. Going there the first time and standing at the counter, getting waited on, or waiting to get waited on and then realizing that there were numbers you were supposed to get, like at the bakery shop or something. Yeah, there's, you got to get a number. If you don't have the number, they're not going to call or, or talk with you. They're not going to deal with you at all. You don't have a number. Number 75. I, where's the number? So I you know, got over that, figured out where the numbers were. And usually they'd take you in back because it wasn't something simple. They'd take you into the back aisles. And at the old store, these aisles were so narrow, you could only go one way. There, you couldn't have traffic going both ways, so that's how it was. At the new store, it's a little bit larger, but it's that same sort of thing where they call you in back and say, well, let's go look. And uh, it's a great place. It feels, uh, it feels great. Uh, so different from the uh, commodity exchange we have to deal with at, at Home Depot or Lowe's or any of those other big box stores um, where... Most of the time, the folks don't know anything about hardware and uh, don't know what inventory is. And, yeah, it goes on from there. Convenient. They have everything. It's cheaper. And yet I still go and keep going back to Winks and, and giving them my money. And uh, I like the service. I like walking into a place that, where they know your name. At Winks, you can get... Well, let's just start with screws. What a bewildering array you are presented with when you think, I, I need to screw something together. Okay, flathead, roundhead, oval head, truss head, um, brass, brass plated, nickel, stainless, slotted, <laughs> Phillips head, Phillips one, Phillips two, Phillips three, square drive, one, two, and three. It's amazing the, the number of options we have now available to us. And, uh, boy, it can be very confusing when you're, when you're there. I remember, um, and people ask me, so you, you must have taken a shop class when you were in high school. Nope. No shop class. Uh, not the high school I went to. I did take shop class in sixth grade, and I remember having to do a show-and-tell uh, on any topic I wanted, and I chose the wood screw. And so uh, I'm happy to uh, reprise that uh, that uh, talk for you today, some years later. <laughs> the screw, the wood screw in particular, don't ever use one. They're awful. You have to drill two holes, one for the, the threads and then one for the big shank that they haven't threaded. 
Why didn't they thread that? It makes life so much simpler. So I use either sheet metal screws or a, a trim head screw, which is another type of screw. Um, and that's fairly recent to me, you know, a couple of decades of use. But, uh, boy, what a great thing those are because you can drill a smaller uh, countersink hole and drive those heads in. And they do a good job of holding uh, only square drive. But uh, that makes driving, driving the screw in so much easier. Did you know, this is kind of interesting information, that there were, um, at the turn of the century, I always thought that square drive screws came in, you know, like 1985, 1990. Hey, I got this great idea. Let's do a square drive screw instead of these Phillips head where the screwdriver's slipping out or the slotted where they're always slipping out unless you grind your screwdriver to the exact size you need. No, it turns out that uh, Mr. Robertson... The Robertson screw, the square drive screw, was invented sometime in the early 20th century, 1900-something. And uh, he was a Canadian who didn't want to share or license his idea out to anyone else. He wanted to control the whole thing. And so he had problems selling it. Um, Mr. Phillips came along in the 30s. He was a hardware salesman in, hey, Portland, Oregon. And he came along with his other idea to... Uh, allow someone to drive a screw and have the screwdriver head slip out so that when um, we were into production producing uh, armament for war, uh, it was easier to put things together and you weren't breaking screw heads off like you could with the square drive screw. You get that square drive driver in there and sometimes it's hard to get out and easier to nip off a head. And Phillips licensed his idea to everyone. And made his fortune that way. Share, that's the, <laughs> sharing, that's the moral of our story here. Share your ideas. Anyway, at um, Winks you can get this huge variety of, of fasteners and screws. And screws, I must say, are, are much like lumber in that you can't have enough. Just buy extra, just buy more. And, and just learn how to store it. Uh, for instance, you're going to drive um, screws for uh, some hinges, uh, and it's brass. You need steel screws. Before you put in the brass screws, you want to drive steel screws in to cut the threads for your brass screws. It makes such a difference. And the feeling you get when you break off a brass screw head is is so it's so interesting it you know it's going to happen a, a millisecond before it does because you can feel it starting to give and then it's gone and so and there's no stopping <laughs> in that millisecond so um, it's a um, useful thing to uh, buy some steel screws to drive before you drive your brass screws lube them both with a little bit of wax or you can use soap, too. Um, I use wax. and Wax the threads, drive the steel screw first, back that out, and then run my brass screw in. So, yeah, plenty of fasteners to get. Lots of other stuff that uh, we get at our hardware stores. Uh, you know, hinges and catches and all those things that we use for cabinetry. Uh, such a variety now of cheap hardware you can get. <laughs> 
I have fixed more European hinges and doors that have broken or sagged and the hinges have given way than, than I've applied them to my work. I don't use European-style hinges. Um, they're easy. They're quick. That you drill a, uh, you know, a one-inch hole. Is it a 30, 35-millimeter hole? Um, 32 millimeter, I'm not, I don't remember. Uh, and that's it. And then you drive your screws into that, and it's adjustable in and out and up and down and back and forth, and uh, it's great, but they don't seem to stay. Um, and and so I, I always prefer to buy uh, good hinges and uh, and put those in. There's, there's a couple types that I use, butt hinges, which I use uh, to hang doors all the time. Uh, you can get brass, cheap brass ones, or brass plated ones, or steel ones. Cost you a couple bucks for a pair, and uh, they're not very good. They they tend to sag a little bit, and um, but you know they're cheap. And if you're doing just something around your shop and need some hinges, that's an easy way to go. Did you know that you can get your hinges, of course, in different lengths, inch and a half long or two inches long? But then when they're open, they they can be either narrow, middle, they're called, or broad. And this is how wide they are. For a two-inch long hinge, you can get a narrow, a middle, or a broad width, depending on the thickness of the uh, cabinet wall or your box side, wherever you're applying it. So you need to know that. You've got to have a good source because most of the hardware stores just give you one type. The barrel is uh, the only thing that should be visible on these butt hinges unless they're decorative butterfly hinges. They are not designed to be planted on the outside of a project as if you are so proud of your ability to drive a screw. No, these are mortised in place. And uh, we mortise either the uh, thickness of the barrel or the thickness of the leaf or something in between depending on how that leaf wraps around the barrel. Is it unswaged? That is, the leaf comes straight off the barrel. Is it partially swaged or is it fully swaged? What the heck is this guy talking about swaging? Go look at your door. Go look at the door in your, in your uh, living room, your bedroom, uh, your front door. And most likely you're going to see a fully swaged hinge. That is, the leaf wraps around the barrel and then a little bit more so that when you close the hinge up, those two leaves are, are touching each other. They're parallel with one another. An unswaged hinge, uh, when the leaves touch each other, they're only touching at the tip because they're not running around the barrel and then a little bit more. So they're, they're unswaged. And so you have to uh, mortise differently for those two types of hinges. Um, so there's the swaging issue and then the, the width of it, whether it's a, a broad, a middle, or a narrow hinge. I mortise, uh, depending on the project, uh, into both the door and the carcass. Uh, for my work, it's the nicest way. Uh, spend a little bit of time thinking about position. Uh, where the hinge goes relative uh, to the rest of the piece. If it's a frame and panel door, is it lining up on the inside of the panel? Uh, or maybe one within if it's an extra long panel? Um, little things like that add up. Uh, you want to think about that a little bit. I do uh, always hope when I'm putting hinges in that it's, it'll go easy and I only have to run those brass screws once 
or maybe twice or three times or six times. Maybe if I can get this in, <laughs> it always turns out that way. There's always that fussing. And I'm, I'm never trying to uh, cut a door exactly to size and then hinge it. It's always, I'm sneaking up on the, on a fit, particularly with, uh, with hardware, trying to get things to fit. So with a door, I'm only running a style and a, a rail that are square to one corner of the of the box or cabinet or carcass. And then once I get my hinges on, then I can finish up the trimming uh, so that everything is consistent. So little things like that you pick up along the way. Um, good hardware costs, costs more. Um, if you go to the knife hinge approach, which is... Uh, it used to be owned by Larry and Faye Brusso. They were out of Detroit. I'm not sure who owns it now, um, but they they sold their company. Um, and that's a you know a, a very simple pin hinge, very simple pin hinge. They make both straight and L type hinges for inset or partially inset doors. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny it. People think about woodworking. They go, oh, well, you know, I can do it. It's simple. You know, any, you know, they teach it in in high school shop class. How smart do you have to be to hang a door? Boy, <laughs> smarter than you think. All right. So, is your door full overlay? Is it full inset? Is it partial overlay? Is it a rabbited door? Uh, what kind of reveal are you going to have? Is the door going to expand and contract through the seasons, or is it a frame and panel door? Is it a veneer door? Uh, all these issues that uh, one needs to consider and develop a, a, a series of uh, steps, patterns that you fall back on to, uh, to hang your doors properly. I had this one door uh, that was knife-hinged. It was a good-sized cabinet, fairly tall, about five feet, five and a half feet tall. So the door was good size, and it was a frame and panel door with a glass panel, and I had uh, put knife hinges in. And I had done them meticulously. I had written an article for a magazine at the time uh, to uh, discuss putting these knife hinges in. And I always set them just a hair inside the um, front edge of the carcass, about a 64th of an inch in. Very slight difference. And um, and there they were, and, and they worked great. Um, you do know that uh, when you build your piece, you need to be building it on a platform, your bench, or a, another workstation. I use uh, short 18-inch tall sawhorses that I connect with a diagonal brace, clamp that on, and put a piece of plywood on top of that, and then true that to the floor. Because, well, if you see my floor, you, you know it's not flat and level. And so you get it flat and level. You true it with, with wedges underneath those sawhorses to make it perfect. And so now, when I build my piece, when I set my door, when I put my hinges on it, it's being done on that perfectly flat and true surface so that I can say with surety, with confidence, my bench, my bench is the center of the universe. If it goes to your house and the door doesn't work, that ain't my fault. The door worked at my shop. It's the floor. This cabinet uh, sits to the left of my doorway at home, and um, I have to put a quarter-inch shim under the rear leg so that the door opens and closes. There's nothing holding the front of that cabinet stiff. It's, all, it's an opening. There's a door there. Um, and I take that same cabinet and move it to the right of the door, 
and it works great. No problems, no shims required. It sits great. So uh, floors are not flat. We need to adjust uh, adjust our cabinets uh, as needed. But I do that uh, at the bench and get that get that right. You do know, of course, that when you're building a piece, the first thing you do after you've designed it is to go buy your hardware. No one does that. No one I know does that. It's the smart thing to do because it will affect things down the, down the road if your hardware asks for one sort of inset or another. Or, uh, so it's what we should do. Go get that hardware first so you know how to build around it. Hardware can be difficult to find these days. Um, good hinges are not really available at even the good hardware stores. Uh, so we have to go to specially, specially ones to get, uh, to get this type of uh, extruded brass, like the uh, knife hinges um, from Brusso or Lee Valley, um, uh, Ball and Ball, Whitechapel, these are some of the places you can get this hardware. Um, costs a little bit more, but as with buying tools, you're only unhappy once, and then every time you open and close that case or chest and see that nice hardware, you, you know that it's going to last a long time, and that's, that's a big deal. That's, a, that's worth spending a little bit extra on. Uh, catches and um, handles, well, that's another whole whole issue. There's lots of ways of holding a door in place. I think handles are a huge part of the uh, experience of design. Um, and designing your own hardware, I think, is can be good, fun, lots of fun. Slows you down. <laughs> I will admit to that. It slows you down. But boy, what fun to be designing your own handles, whether they're in wood or wooden metal or just metal or if you use other materials. Um, it's a lot of fun to be doing that stuff and coming up with shapes that uh, that intrigue and entice the uh, the viewer, the the person who's going to engage your piece. You know that when you build a piece of furniture, two things happen very quickly. The first thing is someone looks at the form and says, "Oh, I love that. It's appealing to me. I don't know why. It's happening on a visceral level. I'm sure." Uh, pre-conscious level but people respond to the shape and the proportions of the piece immediately and then if they like it what's the next thing they do they go and touch it that's exactly what they do everyone goes up and touches it and where are they going to touch that's up to you the designer so if I have a nice handle uh, for people to put their uh, their mitts on um, that's really a good thing. So I'm in, I'm in control. You are in control of where you want people to put their hands. And whether it's a textured handle or a different uh, color or a different um, hardness, uh, metal being colder than, than wood but shiny and reflective perhaps, or maybe it's got a patina on it if you've used brass or copper, uh, there's so many ways to play around with that stuff. I made some real interesting handles. Actually, the handle on that uh, cabinet I was telling you about uh, has a nice handle. It's a uh, copper, uh, no, brass tubing. Brass tubing that I threaded on the inside of the tube uh, and then ran screws, machine screws, into that thread. Those uh, brass tubes are then, uh, I drilled, drilled hole into a wooden handle and epoxied those uh, brass tubes in and the 
handle is screwed in in place uh, through the door. Uh, and it's held up for 20 years, so seems to be doing nice. Anyway, there are, there are plenty of things you can do without just going and rushing to the catalog and buying the next version of a, of a metal shaker knob or a wooden shaker knob. There's plenty of things that you can do to design hardware to, uh, to fit your piece. And it doesn't have to be super fancy and um, filled with uh, all sorts of carving and detail. It can be very simple, but pleasing so that someone wants to put their hand there. Hardware, it's not uh, the things running our computers. It's the things we surround ourselves with and live with and build with. And uh, I think just as important as uh, the choice of wood we, uh, we build our pieces out of. Anyway, fun to think about. Uh, I hope you have a good hardware store in your town so you can uh, look at the variety of fasteners and systems available to us. We're not all stuck in uh, one particular bin. There's lots of bins out there. Anyway, thanks very much for listening. This has been Gary Rogowski for the Northwest Woodworking Studio. Uh, if you'd like to support our podcast efforts, uh, check out uh, the Ko-Fi page we have uh, linked on our website, northwestwoodworking.com. Buy me a cup of coffee. Coming up in February, um, I have a chat with uh, Thomas Lee Nielsen, um, owner and founder, CEO, uh, head guy at Lee Nielsen Tools. Um, so we had a fascinating time uh, chatting about things, uh, and I hope you can join us for that uh, coming up in February. Um, in the meantime, please check out our website and classes, and uh, be good to yourselves. Bye.